Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to bring you Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. Now, without further ado, let's start the show. This is the Monday Night Raw after the Elimination Chamber, so who better to start off Monday Night Raw than Sami Zayn? Sami Zayn will come out here. The fans are still chanting for Sami. Sami will begin talking about the feelings that he's been feeling the past couple of days and it's of gratitude for the reaction that people have been giving him. And Sami would thank the fans for their acceptance and their appreciation of him. Sami would say that he has been feeling guilt for the past couple of days since the chamber because he didn't get the job done in front of his family, his friends, and his country. And Sammy didn't get to finish his story. But Sammy would say they are entering a final chapter of his story. And Sammy would call out Kevin Owens to the ring. Kevin Owens will come down to the ring. Sammy would tell Kevin that he is sorry. And he knows that they are past the stage of words. But Sammy would make a proposition to Kevin Owens to team up to take down the bloodline. Since both of them basically hate the bloodline and they want to see the whole empire crumble. Kevin Owens will have an answer to Sammy's proposal, and it's a no. Kevin will let Sammy know that at Elimination Chamber, he did not save Sammy because of Sammy. He saved Sammy because of Sammy's family and his own family. Kevin will say that he didn't want Sammy to get beat up the same way that he did at the Royal Rumble in front of his own family. Kevin Owens would tell Sammy that he still is standing on what he told Sammy in November after the Survivor Series that he is done with Sammy and that he wants nothing to do with him. Kevin would finish by saying that if Sammy needs help tearing down the bloodline, ask your pal Jay. Then Kevin Owens would leave the ring and walk to the back. Now we will focus on the commentators running down the show, giving us what we're supposed to see on Monday Night Raw. And when they were done with that, we would pan over back to Sammy Zayn on the entrance stage, waving to the fans. And as Sammy's waving to the fans, Baron Corbin would attack Sammy from behind. Corwin will put a beating on Sammy, then the referees and backstage officials will come out to separate the two guys. Baron will walk to the ring and get a mic. Baron would badmouth Sammy about losing to Roman at the chamber and being a failure to his country and his family. Adam Pierce would give Sammy the leeway to get Corbin, and Sammy would rush down to the ring, and now we have a match between both of the men. Sammy would beat Baron Corbin by pinfall by hitting Corbin with a haluva kick for the win. Now, after this, we would get Dolph Ziggler going against Mustafa Ali. Ali would win the match by pinfall by reversing a Famouser with a handstand and then get Dolph Ziggler in a crucifix pin for the win. Now, after this match, we would get Cody Rhodes coming down to the ring. But before Cody could even start talking, Paul Heyman would interrupt Cody. But Paul Heyman would be backstage wearing a neck brace because he got hit with a stunner by Kevin Owens at the Elimination Chamber here. Cody would call Paul out to come out to the ring, but Paul would refuse because, as I said before, he took a stunner from Kevin Owens at the chamber and he would tell that to Cody. But Paul would tell Cody that he can't beat Roman Reigns. Paul would then play out the fantasy of Cody Rhodes beating Roman for the championships at WrestleMania, and Paul would say that Cody will become an indentured servitude to the championship, being on the road all the time, hardly never being home and when he is home he is on skype or zoom calls and whenever he adds all that up that's literally cody's time being taken away from his family paul would ask cody is that what he wants for his wife and his child and paul would take a personal shot at cody for saying that cody had to deal with that because his father dusty was always on the road and that he was never home and when he was home he was never ever truly actually home to actually pay attention to him and he would say that Hey, Cody, if you do become champion, guess what? I'll be there for your wife and your child. Now, Cody, having heard Paul Heyman making this personal again, Cody would walk around the ring pissed off. He's trying to gather his thoughts. And then when he does gather his thoughts, he will look directly into the camera and talk directly towards Roman Reigns. Roman's great. You're great, Roman. But I have... I have seen this play before. Do not send this man again. 
We haven't come face to face yet. We probably will, and it will probably be very soon. And I will say the same thing to you now that I'm going to say you are without a doubt the greatest WWE undisputed universal champion in the history of the company. You are the current best champion in all of sports, but it doesn't change a damn thing. I have to finish the story. I beat you at WrestleMania. So once again, like two weeks ago, Cody and Paul Heyman, Paul made something personal. Cody's out here just to tell once again that he's going to take the titles off of Roman Reigns, but this time Cody's letting it be known that he does not want to see Paul Heyman again, and he's speaking directly towards Roman Reigns. So this is going to be real interesting when Cody and Roman actually do meet up and actually do have that jousting of wars between each other. I think that's what they're trying to build up to make people clamor and just can't wait to see it. And right now, I think it's working personally. Because Cody is a real inspirational type of uh, talker whenever he speaks. But Roman's more of a trash talker, more of a menace. It's all about me and I'm going to smash you. So those two getting on the mic and just verbally jousting with one another is going to be an entertaining uh, thrill whenever we actually do get it. Now, after this, we would get Asuka going against Nikki Cross. And Bianca Belair will be around ringside to watch Asuka during this match. Asuka would win the match by submission when Asuka locks in the double armbar on Nikki and she would submit. After the match, Bianca Belair would get in the ring and look at Asuka and they would have this moment where both of the ladies would point at the WrestleMania sign because obviously Asuka is going against Bianca Belair for the Raw Women's Championship at WrestleMania. And then Asuka will start spitting out blue goo. And Bianca will have a shot look on her face as Asuka is now playing mind games with Bianca Belair, and I believe this is the first time somebody's actually got Bianca to actually, like, be shocked. I know Alexa Bliss did, like, some uh, Bray Wyatt stuff with the flickering and this and that, but she didn't get the job done the way that Asuka was just by spitting out blue goo. Also, something to make note, next week, Asuka will be going against Carmella, and this match is coming about because Carmella went over to Adam Pearce and asked for this match because she felt disrespected by Asuka at the Elimination Chamber, so, we have that match next week. Now, after this, we will have Seth Rollins going against The Miz. Seth would win the match due to referee stoppage when Seth would nail The Miz with three curb stomps. Seth originally had the match won when he hit The Miz with the first curb stomp, but Seth did not pin The Miz. Instead, he listened to the fans chanting one more time, and Seth would oblige two more times. So, Seth wins the match by referee stoppage, and also, this match was playing into Seth getting more and more tired of Logan Paul's name. Throughout this match, The Miz would kind of throw in Logan Paul's name at Seth Rollins and Seth not having a match at WrestleMania. So Seth was getting a little bit agitated and more deranged towards Miz in this. So when he does hit those curb stomps, he feels <laughs> he feels exhilarated to have rid himself of of all those toxins that he has been feeling throughout this whole match with Miz constantly poking and prodding at him. So we're building to Seth going against Logan Paul at WrestleMania. And next week, Miz will have Miz TV. And we have no idea what's going to happen on Miz TV because before his match happened, uh, his wife gave him a golden envelope. And he said that he will announce the news next week on Miz TV. So we'll have to wait and see next week on Miz TV. Now, after this, we have Ding Dong Hello, which is Bailey's little talk show with her special guests, the WWE Women's Tag Team Champions, EO Sky and Dakota Kai. So during the segment, you have Damage Control out here. They would talk of the fact that EO and Dakota have held the WWE Women's Tag Championships for over 100 days, and they would say that they are the greatest uh, women tag team champions of all time. This would have Becky Lynch come out to end their peacocking and say that they haven't defended those championships in a long time. Becky will say that they aren't going to coast into WrestleMania wearing those championships, and Becky will say that she wants to wear the Women Tag Team Championships going into Mania. Bailey will question who Becky's partner could be, and out walks Lita. Becky and Lita would officially challenge Damage Control to a match, and at first Damage Control would deny the challenge, but 
Becky and Lita would pester damage control, even saying that they might be a little scared to take that challenge, saying that they are the best women's tag team champions of all time. This will make Bailey accept the challenge on the behalf of her ladies, and Io and Dakota will look at Bailey questioning her decision, and the match will be made for next week. So Becky Lynch and Lita will be taking on Io Sky and Dakota Kai for the WWE Women's Tag Team Championships. Now, after this, we have Chad Gable with Otis in his corner going against Bronson Reed. Bronson Reed would win the match by pinfall when Otis was distracted by Maxine Dupree being at ringside. And Chad Gable would look at Otis being distracted. Bronson would turn Chad around and hit him with a power slam that followed up by the tsunami for the win. Now, after this, we have Elias in the ring and he tells Rick Boogs to take notes backstage. Elias would say that this is the time where legends come out and legends are made. And Elias would ask who wants to walk with Elias into WrestleMania. At first, no one will come out. Then Bobby Lashley would come down to the ring and absolutely just destroy Elias. He hit him with a one-handed uh, spine buster, go outside the ring, send Elias into the ring post, throw him back into the ring, hit him with a spear, just destroy Elias. After he's done destroying Elias, Bobby will get a mic and talk about what happened at the chamber. Uh, Brock kicking him in the nuts because he couldn't get out of the hurt lock. And Bobby will say that when he locks in the hurt lock, no one is able to get out of it. Not Brock Lesnar, not a Bray Wyatt, not an Elias. And that he will not be disrespected by anyone in the locker room. And if he continues to get disrespected by someone in the locker room, they will get locked in to the hurt lock. So Bobby Lashley has made out his mission statement. He's not going to be disrespected by anyone anymore. So we'll have to wait and see as next week on Monday Night Raw to see if anybody's going to come out here to try to test Bobby and poke and prod at Bobby to see if they're going to get locked into the hurt lock and basically tap out. Now we're off to the main event of Monday Night Raw for the United States Championship. Edge versus Austin Theory. Austin Theory would retain his United States Championship by pinfall thanks in part to Finn Balor. When Edge was ready to hit Theory with the spear, Finn would run down to the ring and get on the ring apron. Edge would pop Finn off the apron. Theory would run over and roll Edge up, but Edge would kick out at two. Finn would then kick Edge in the head when the referee wasn't looking. This would allow Theory to hit Edge with the A-Town down, then make the pin for the three count, and Theory is still your United States Champion. Now, after the match, immediately... Finn would run in and start punching Edge in the head. And then you would just see Finn put Edge in position to hit him with a coup de grace. Finn would do this two more times. And that's how Raw would go off with Edge laid out on the ground as Finn standing over Edge. And he basically let Edge know that this thing between both of them isn't over. So next week on Monday Night Raw, we'll have to see what's going to happen between Edge and Finn Balor. Now with that, that is your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we're off to NXT, and first thing to note, in two weeks, we will have Miko Satomura going against Roxanne Perez for the NXT Women's Championship, but next week, Miko Satomura will have to go against Zoe Starks. Also, it will be Carmelo Hayes going against Tyler Bate. Now, the first match to start off NXT would be Trick Williams going against Ilya Dragunov. JD McDonough will be on commentary for this match. Ilya will get the win by pinfall by hitting Trick Williams with a torpedo headbutt for the win. Now, after this, we would get Tyler Bate coming down to the ring. Tyler was out here trying to spread love and light to the people, and certain members of the audience would chant, We want Waller. This version of NXT, they either want wrestlers or they want characters. Um, Tyler Bate's whole spreading love and light thing is not going to work here. It probably worked over there in NXT UK, but over here, it's not going to work. When you heard the people said, chant, We want Waller, that kind of gave away a sign saying, Yep, Tyler Bate's going to have to change something here. However, Tyler would take the chant on the chin and continue by saying that him and the audience are going to go on a mystic journey together. Then the schism would come out and Joe Gacy would tell Tyler Bate that they aren't so different and are kindred spirits being forward thinkers. Tyler Bate would deny Joe's comparison and Joe would have the schism surrounding the ring. Andre Chase, Duke Hudson, and Thea Hale would run down to the ring to even odds out and we will have our next match which is a tag match of Andre Chase and Duke Hudson with Thea Hale in their corner, going against the Dyad with Joe Gacy and Ava Rain in their corner. The Dyad would win the match by pinfall thanks to Andre Chase protecting Thea Hale. When Andre was stomping out Jaggard, 
he would see Ava move towards Thea and Andre would tag in Duke Hudson. Andre would leave the ring and make sure Ava Rain doesn't come close to Thea Hale and this would allow the Dyad to hit Duke Hudson with a double code breaker for the win. Now after the match, as Schism is walking up the ramp, Andre Chase would be in the ring with Thea Hale trying to calm her down, make sure she's okay, and Duke Hudson would go over to Andre Chase and basically just chastise him for not being there for him and Duke would ask Andre that he needs to let Thea Hale start growing up. You can't allow her to just constantly run over to you whenever at the first sign of trouble and danger. So Duke is just chastising Andre Chase, and he asks them, that is Duke University about charity, or is it about courage? So Duke Cousin wants Andre Chase to let Thea Hale make her own decisions and let her toughen up, but... Andre Chase is just babying Thea Hale, at least in the way Duke sees it. Now, the next matchup was J.C. Jane going against Indy Hartwell, and that match would end in a DQ win for J.C. thanks to Gigi Dolan. When J.C. kicked Indy Hartwell in the face the same way she did Gigi Dolan two weeks ago, J.C. would try to do it again, but this time Gigi would attack J.C. from behind, and this would make the ref call for the bell. Gigi would follow J.C. out of the ring and attack her by throwing her into the barricade. Gigi would try to look to hit uh, JC in the face, well, kick her in the face, same way that JC did her, but JC would move and go up to the back, so we are now kickstarting Gigi going against JC. As I said before, I think we're going to have a match between both of these ladies that stand and deliver, but it was nice to see Gigi here. After this, we have Gallus going against Idris Anafe and Malik Blade. Gallus would win the match by pinfall by hitting Malik Blade with a running power slam and running forearm to the back combo. Now, after the match, two guys dressed fancy went into the ring with a cake that read Happy Anniversary. And they would explain to Gallus that it's the two-year anniversary of when they lost the NXT UK Tag Team Championships to Pretty Deadly. And the two guys would tell them that they're going to lose those sets of NXT Tag Team Championships to Pretty Deadly. So Gallus would attack the two guys, and once they're done beating them up, uh, Gallus would stand there and look at their handiwork. Pretty Deadly would be behind Wolfgang and Mark Coffey and hit Mark Coffey with a steel chair, and then hit Wolfgang with a steel chair. Now Pretty Deadly would assault Gallus, sending them out of the ring, and throw each member, Wolfgang and Mark Coffey, into the steel steps. Pretty Deadly would take the top steel step off the bottom steel step, and they would slam Wolfgang with a spine buster on the bottom steel step, and then they would pose with the NXT Tag Team Championships. So we have that tag team match coming up soon between Pretty Deadly and Gallus for the uh, tag team titles. They do not announce when that match is happening, but you can tell by the way they attacked uh, Gallus here, that match is coming up pretty soon. Now, after this, we have Tony D'Angelo with Stax in his corner going against Von Wagner, who will have Mr. Stone in his corner. Tony would win the match by pinfall by hitting Von Wagner with a back suplex slash uh, side slam combo for the win. And after the match, Tony would talk about loyalty that Stax has shown to him, saying that Stax could have accepted the North American Championship Challenge last week, but he decided to help out Tony going against Dijak. And speaking of Dijak, Tony would throw out a challenge to Dijak for a jailhouse street fight match at Roadblock. And Tony is giving Dijak seven days, so basically until next week's episode of NXT, to answer that, well, match request. So next week, we'll have to wait to see what Dijak says. More than likely, Dijak's going to accept. Now, after this, we have Ivy Nile with Tatum Paxley in her corner, going against Alba Fire, who has Isla Dawn in her corner. Alba Fire would win the match by pinfall thanks to Isla Dawn. When Ivy had Alba in the Dragon Sleeper, Isla would get on the ring apron and distract the referee. Tatum Paxley would get on the ring apron and try to make the referee pay attention to the action in the ring. But Alba would maneuver over to Tatum and Ivy would accidentally knock Tatum off the apron. This would allow Alba to hit Ivy with a gory bomb for the win. Now off to the main event of NXT for the NXT Championship. Braun Breaker going against Jinder Mahal. Braun Breaker would retain his NXT Championship by pinfall when he reverses out of the Coloss and hit Jinder Mahal with the spear for the win. Solid main event between Jinder and Braun, nothing really spectacular. So, I mean, it is what it is. Um, after the match, you would see Carmelo Hayes on the NXT perch, and you would have something black in his hand. Uh, Braun Breaker would celebrate with the NXT championship. 
But as soon as Braun Breaker acknowledged and saw Carmelo Hayes on NXT Perch, you will see an like effect, like a special effects bar, like on the bottom of the NXT television screen, and it's looking like somebody just moving over to the WWE Network like app, and then you will see like the network pop up, move over to stand and deliver, click it, and it's Grayson Waller. Grayson Waller was in the production truck, and Grayson Waller is basically calling out Shawn Michaels since Shawn did not have Grayson Waller on the NXT show. And Grayson Waller is letting Shawn Michaels know that he's going to be at Stand and Deliver and that nobody's going to stop him. And he wants to clear the air with Shawn Michaels in two weeks at Roadblock. So Grayson Waller proposes to Shawn, how about those two talk it out on the Grayson Waller effect in two weeks at Roadblock? So that's what you should look forward to in two weeks. Also, I forgot to mention at the top of the NXT coverage, um, Wesley, he will be defending his North American Championship again in an open challenge next week on NXT. Now, with all that being said, that is your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we're off to AEW Dynamite, and Dynamite would open up with the All-Atlantic Championship match where the champion Arch Cassidy would go against the ROH Pier champion, Wither Yuta. Orange Cassidy would retain his championship by pinfall, when Orange Cassidy would hit the orange punch, then the beach break, and then a final orange punch to put Wither Yuta down for the count. This match was a great way to open up Dynamite. You have Orange Cassidy and Yuta. These two are former friends now turned to, well, not rivals, but Yuta just has some disdain for Orange Cassidy because when Yuta was around Orange Cassidy and the best friends, Trent and Chuck would just bully him around and Orange would never ever say anything about it. So now that Wither Yuta's with the Blackpool Combat Club, he's become more aggressive. He's actually learned to take care of himself. So now he's basically come back to get some type of revenge or acknowledgement from Orange Cassidy. And that's what this match was all about. You saw the toughness of with Yuta. You saw the toughness that Yuta brought out of Orange Cassidy. Because usually in Orange Cassidy's style matches, Orange Cassidy doesn't take things uh, seriously. But towards the end of the match, as you see the sequences between Yuta and Orange Cassidy, Cassidy took things extremely serious with Yuta. And at a certain point, Yuta almost won the championship, but he just couldn't muster out uh, one more speck of courage that Arch Cassidy basically had that night. Now, after the match, Arch Cassidy would help Yuta up, and he would try to hug him, but Yuta would push away from Orange, and Orange would assist for Yuta to hug him. Then you see Claudio Castagnoli come out, and he would stand on the ring apron, and he would point for Yuta to come stand by him, and Yuta would do so. Yuta would leave the ring, grab his pure championship, and walk towards Claudio Castagnoli. So now you have Claudio telling Yuta, it's all right, you're at the Blackpool Combat Club now. And this is just reassuring Yuta that, yo, you made the right choice. Even though you lost tonight, trust me, you made the right choice. So I can see Orange Cassidy going against Claudio Castagnoli sometime soon because I don't see Cassidy doing John Moxley because Moxley's uh, in this program with Hangman Page. So Claudio's the next best thing. Now, after this, we have Ricky Starks coming down to the ring to speak to the crowd. Ricky would say that he is tired of dealing with Chris Jericho and his goons, so he's decided that he's done with Jericho, and Ricky would pull out a contract for an open challenge at AEW Revolution. Ricky would ask for anyone in the back to come out to take the challenge, and out walks Chris Jericho. Jericho would say that Ricky isn't going to make Jericho take the bait because he knows what Ricky's trying to do and try to make him accept that challenge, but Jericho would insist he isn't going to take the bait because Ricky is not on his level. So after Jericho says all of this, Peter Avalon will come out. Peter Avalon will try to walk to the ring. Jericho would pull Avalon back, look at him, and hit him with the Judas effect. Now, as you know in wrestling, you know where we're going with this. Chris Jericho would walk down to the ring. He would give in to Ricky Stark's uh, reverse psychology because Ricky would say to Jericho, you know what, you're right, you could beat me. I know that you could beat me, but why do you have the Jericho Appreciation Society every time me and you have a match? So Jericho would make the stipulation that, you know what, I'm going to go against you at Revolution and the Jericho Appreciation Society will stay in the back. So Jericho would sign the contract and we have that match with Ricky going against Chris Jericho at Revolution with the Jericho Appreciation Society staying in the back. Now, after this, we have Lee Moriarty and Big Bill, or better known as Bill Morrissey, with Stokely Hathaway in his corner, 
going against the Acclaim with Billy Gunn in their corner. Now, the Guns would come out to watch the match, and they would even interfere a little bit when they attacked Billy Guns, but the Acclaim would still win the match by pinfall, when Anthony Bones would hit Lee Moriarty with the arrival, and Max Caster would finish with the mic drop for the win. Now, after this, we were supposed to have an interview with Christian Cage, but Christian would get attacked on the stage by Jungle Boy. Jungle Boy would hit Christian with a spear and start pounding on him. And then as Christian is crawling away, Jungle Boy would hit Christian with a sliding elbow to the back of the head. And you will see Jungle Boy leave the stage to grab two steel chairs. And it looks as Jungle Boy is going to hit Christian with a concerto. Jungle Boy would hesitate. He would look at Christian on the ground. He would lift up the chair. He would do this several times before he's willing and ready to do it. But Christian would hit Jungle Boy with a low blow. Christian then would get the chair and hit Jungle Boy in the head with the chair. And then Christian would grab Jungle Boy's head and start bouncing it off the chair multiple times. Now Christian has made Jungle Boy bleed. Christian would stand up, put one foot on Jungle Boy's head, and just pose as the referees come out to make sure Christian isn't going to do more damage to Jungle Boy. So as it seems, Jungle Boy and Christian's whole rivalry that they have with each other is not ending uh, yet. I still have a feeling we're going to have a match between the two at Revolution, but that match was not made official on Dynamite. Now, after this, we will have Soraya with Tony Storm in her corner going against Sky Blue. Soraya would win the match by submission thanks to Tony Storm. When Sky Blue pinned Soraya after hitting Soraya with a running kick to the head, Tony would get on the ring apron to distract the ref. Sky would get up and hit Tony with a forearm, dropping Tony. This will allow Soraya to hit Sky with a thrust kick to the chest and then lock her in a modified Scorpion crossface, and Sky would submit. Now, after the match, Tony and Soraya will look to spray Sky Blue, but Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter would run down to the ring, making Tony and Soraya leave the ring and go up the ramp. Ruby Soho would appear, and she would walk out onto the stage. She would tell Tony and Soraya to move, and Ruby would look at Jamie Hayter and gesture for the AEW Women's Championship around her waist. So you know what Ruby's out here to do. She's out here to challenge uh, Jamie for the championship. Later in the night, Jamie Hayter would be backstage with Britt Baker, and she would throw out the challenge for a triple threat match for the AEW Women's Championship between herself, Soraya, and Ruby Soho at Revolution. So you can expect that match to happen at Revolution. Now, after this, Brian Danielson will come down to the ring. Brian was out here to talk about his upcoming match with MGF at Revolution. Brian talks about how last week, MGF says that he hates Brian Danielson, and Brian will list the heinous things that MGF has done. He mentions how MGF tried to break the arm of Christopher Daniels, someone who's a friend of Brian. He put a bounty on Brian Daniels' head, and he would mention how MGF put his mentor, William Regal, in a hospital. This will lead to MGF coming out onto the stage, and we will finally get the reason why MGF actually hates Brian Danielson, and MGF would say that he hates Brian because Brian has a family, he has a wife, and he has children, and that is something that MGF wants so bad. And MGF would talk about a story about how he met a girl who, out of everybody in the world, she made MGF feel that the world wasn't so evil and that the world didn't hate him so much. So that at that point, MGF would get on one knee and propose to the girl and said that he wanted to make a family. He wanted to be a wife. He wanted to have children. And ultimately, the girl would break his heart and dump him. So MGF sees Brian as, you have everything that I ever wanted. And you're basically just constantly spitting in the face of it because you're coming out here to wrestle. You're putting your life and your family's life at risk because you're coming out here wanting to spotlight, even though Brian has sustained a lot of concussions. Brian just doesn't know when to quit, but MJF tells Brian that at Revolution, he's going to give Brian the spotlight and much more. MJF would then stop and look at the camera, and he would then go to talk to Brian's kids, saying that he's going to send dad at home with a broken arm and make sure he is never going to be able to hold them again and play with them again. And he's going to send Brian to an early retirement with early CTE damage. Brian would pop MGF now. And now we have a brawl between MGF and Brian Danielson. You will see referees, backstage officials, and security coming out to separate both guys. MGF would sneakily slide underneath the ropes to get away from Brian a little bit. 
Brian will leave the ring and run around to get at MJF and he would get to him and they will still continue to brawl. Now, this segment between MJF and Brian ignited a extra level of intensity that this rivalry needed from MJF because before then, this was another typical MJF thing that he usually has with his opponents that, yo, if you want to get to me, you have to clear all these people and then you finally get to me. Then we get weeks of him talking up uh, his opponents as in being their weaknesses, MGF being so, and his opponents having to uh, try to disparage MGF in some type of way. It's usually the format, except for the few that he had with Punk. That one was a more personal situation. And also Darby. Like, Darby and Punk were the only two rivalries that were actually of something where MGF that MGF actually dug into his personal, I'm going to try to get you to really hate me bag situations. All the other ones, his feud with Cody, uh, his feud with Warlow, his feud with Jericho, and even this one right here that with Brian, they're all technically almost the same, but just tweaking a little bit. So I'm glad that he added a little extra sauce to this rivalry with Brian, at least now, because next week they have their match at a revolution. So that's that. And also MGF is truly the spawn of CM Punk when it comes down to wrestling and talking on the mic, because the stuff that MGF was saying to Brian here is the only thing that I could think of, of Punk saying Punk is the only other guy that I know that I've seen in wrestling, at least of this uh, modern wrestling era of guys that will really talk down to people personally, bring up personal stuff of their drinking, uh, personal family history, concussions, and all this type of stuff. Punk is the only true guy that will actually bring that type of stuff up and actually try to get some people to hate him, to make you really hate him and make you root for the other guy that they're going against. So MGF constantly doing this reminds me of Punk and just makes me can't wait for Punk to come back to AEW. Sorry, I had to go off on my little nerd rant, but that's just what it is here. Um, after this, we get a tag team battle royale here to see who joins the acclaim and the guns at Revolution for the Fatal 4-Way uh, tag team title match. Jeff Jarrett would win the battle royale for his team of him and Jay Lethal when Jeff would eliminate Tremperetta. So now the final spot for the tag title match at Revolution will be determined next week in a casino battle royal. So right now we have Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal. We have the Acclaim and we have the Guns in this Fatal 4-Way tag team title match at Revolution. Now after this, we would get an announcement from Adam Cole that comes from Tony Khan. Adam would announce that next week, well, next month on AEW, they will debut an extra hour of AEW content after AEW Dynamite called All Access. This is supposed to be a behind-the-scene look of the wrestlers uh, talking about either their personal lives or things of that nature. I'm hoping that they use this time for extra content to, yes, you can expose the wrestlers' personal lives and the stuff that they are dealing with outside of the ring or even the injuries that they are dealing with after their matches that they have. I'm just hoping that they use the extra hour of content to... Uh, expand some storylines because you can detail and you can talk about backstage uh, behind the scenes stuff. But if you also use this extra hour of content to help expand rivalries, I don't think nobody that's an AEW watcher or AEW fan is going to have a problem with this uh, content here. Also, Adam Cole would announce that when AEW All Access, that first episode debuts, that will also be the episode where Adam Cole will return to in-ring competition. So Adam Cole is going to be making his in-ring debut back to AEW in March. Now, to the main event, John Moxley versus Evil Uno. Moxley would win the match by referee stoppage when Moxley would have Evil Uno in the bulldog choke and Uno wouldn't give up. So Moxley would transition it into a sleeper hold and the referee would call for the bell. Now, this match, Moxley made Evil Uno bleed. He did it by uh, stomping Uno's head in on the steps multiple times and then tearing at Uno's mask, and then you start seeing the blood start dripping out of Uno's uh, face out of the mask. And when you saw Moxley just apply the bulldog choke onto Uno, you just start seeing like the blood just start gushing out of Uno's skull. So once Moxley got Uno back into the ring, you started to see the mat start getting covered with Uno's blood. So at the full 
uh, end of the match, they got a full overhead camera shot, and you start seeing blood splattered marks all over the mat. So that's you know it all comes from Evil Uno. Anyway, after the match, Moxley wouldn't let go of the submission, which will lead to Alex Reynolds and John Silver to come down to the ring to get Moxley off of Uno. You see Silver and Reynolds beat up on Moxley. You see Willie Yuta and Claudio Castagnoli coming down to the ring, pull Silver and Reynolds off of Mox, and now you have those four guys going at it. Hangman Page would run down to the ring. He would go at Moxley, beat up on Moxley a little bit. He pulls Bob Wire out of his pocket. He wraps it around his fist, and then he punches Moxley in the head with it. Now you got Moxley bleeding here. You see both guys continue to brawl with each other a little bit. Heyman would get the better of it. He would go to look to hit Moxley with the buckshot lariat. And then as he does so, you see Moxley look at Hangman and just dip out of the ring and go up the ramp. And we would get the final shot of Dynamite of a bloody face Moxley looking at Hangman just shaking his head. So you can expect Moxley to try to get some revenge on Hangman at their match at Revolution in a Texas death match. So at that match, you couldn't expect both guys to basically bleed out, not bleed out, but bleed a lot. But with that all being said, that is your AEW Dynamite wrestling highlights of the week. Now we're off to Impact Wrestling. Impact will open up with a tag team match of Mike Bailey and Jonathan Gresham going against the Impact World Tag Team Champions, the Motor City Machine Guns. The Motor City Machine Guns would win the match by pinfall after Jonathan Gresham would accidentally hit Mike Bailey and this will allow Motor City Machine Guns to double-team Jonathan and hit him with a dirt bomb for the win. I will say, watching this match with Jonathan Gresham and Mike Bailey as a potential team, they could work. They had great tag team chemistry. They worked together. They know how to execute moves, especially whenever uh, they were going after Alex Shelley's leg in the match. So if they decide to go to be a tag team and Impact wants to make it that way, I won't be mad at it, to be honest with you. Now, after this, we had our first Beat the Clock Challenge match of the night. It's Tommy Dreamer going against Jason Hotch with John Schuyler in his corner. Tommy would win the match in 1 minute and 14 seconds by pinfall by hitting Hotch with a Death Valley driver from the top turnbuckle for the win. So now, Bully Ray, later in the night, has to beat Tommy Dreamer's record of 1 minute and 14 seconds, but I'll get to that in a minute. After this, we would have Taya Valkyrie with Havoc and Rosemary in her corner going against Allison Kay, who has Marty Bell in her corner. Allison Kay would win the match by pinfall, thanks to Marty Bell distracting the referee. When Taya was looking to hit the glam slam on Kay, Marty would get on the ring apron and talk smack. Rosemary would run over and pull Marty off the ring apron, and this would allow Allison Kay to hit the AK-47, which is a sit-out dominator on Taya Valkyrie for the win. So this gives motivation and momentum for Allison K and Marty Bell into their knockouts tag team title match going against the Death Dolls at No Surrender. Now the next matchup was Diener and Callahan with the design in their corner going against Frankie Kazarian and Yuya Yamora. Kazarian and Yuya would win the match by pinfall thanks to Diener playing mind games with Callahan. Callahan was looking to hit the pile driver on Kazarian but Diener would ask for the tag. Callahan would be hesitant, but he would go over and try to tag in Diener, but as soon as he does, Diener would drop off the ring apron, and Callahan would ask Diener what's he doing before going back to Kazarian. Callahan would try to pin Kaz, but Kaz would lock Callahan into the crossface chicken wing, and, well, Callahan would tap out. Now, after this match, we would go to the back, and Callahan would walk up on the design and ask Diener what was that about. Diener would tell Callahan that was step number five, and that was about letting Callahan know that this group, the design, is all about being together when the times get tough and that you just can't walk away like you would do in a said contract. So Dina would again ask Callahan, does he want to be part of the design? And Callahan would say he does. So we have to wait and see what more steps Callahan would have to pass to be a part of the design. Dina would say that was step number five. He still has two more very dangerous steps that he has to pass before he could be part of the design. What are those steps? I don't know, but we'll have to wait and see. As Impact continues to tell the story of Callahan, who was the guy who was once against the design, now trying to be a part of the design. Now, after this, we have our other beat the clock challenge of Bully Ray going against Bupinder Gujir. And Bully Ray would win the match in 30 seconds, thanks to Jason Hotch and John Schuyler interfering. As soon as the bell started, H 
Hodge and Skyler would run down to the ring and get on the ring apron. Goodyear would attack both men. And as this was happening, Bully Ray would wrap his fist in a chain. Goodyear would walk over to Bully after attacking both Hodge and Skyler and get punched in the face by Bully with the chain, knocking out Goodyear, and Bully would pin Goodyear to win the Beat the Clock Challenge. So at no surrender, in this whole mediation uh, situation between Tommy Dreamer and Bully Ray, Bully Ray now gets to talk first before Tommy Dreamer. So that's what this whole Beat the Clock Challenge was about. Now off to the main event of Impact is the Monsters Ball for the X Division Championship between Trey Miguel champion going to challenger Crazy Steve. Trey Miguel would win the match by pinfall by hitting Roll of the Dice, or aka better known as the Crossroads, off the ring apron through a barbed wire table outside of the ring before putting Crazy Steve back into the ring and then pinning him for the win. Now in this Monsters Ball, you have the traditional bringing out the thumbtacks, you have a barbed wire out there. It's the traditional stuff that happens at a Monsters Ball. And for anybody that doesn't know what a Monster Ball is, it is a no holes barred match in Impact Wrestling. But you have barbed wire and thumbtacks, things that you wouldn't see in WWE uh, situation that you will see here in Impact. And it's always been the format since, I believe, 2005-ish. And in this match, you saw Crazy Steve pay homage to Abyss, who now works in uh, WWE in a backstage role. You would see him hit a black hole slam on Trey Miguel in some thumbtacks, and you would see he, him even bring out um, Janice, who was Abyss's weapon of choice in his later career in Impact, which is a 2x4 that has nails literally poking out of it. And I will say this. Trey Miguel, he did better than what I expected him to, to be honest with you. When you think of Trey Miguel, you don't think of a uh, hardcore guy, you think of someone that's a high flyer who can do uh, other type of wrestling as well, but just hardcore, not it was not in his repertoire to me. But seeing this, it shows that he can actually be hardcore, he can do hardcore style matches because he was the guy that introduced the thumbtacks into the match. It wasn't Crazy Steve that went underneath the ring to bring the thumbtacks. No, it was Trey Miguel, and Trey Miguel was the guy that actually got slammed through the thumbtacks, so that lets me know that, okay, so he actually is willing to go all the way through with this. Sometimes you get guys that are not willing to get slammed through thumbtacks, but he was willing for it, so uh, Trey Miguel, I didn't expect it, so it was, I was pleasantly surprised to see this from Trey, to be honest, but it was a nice way to wrap up a rivalry between Trey Miguel and Crazy Steve, because now that Trey Miguel is done with Crazy Steve, I don't know who's going to like challenge for the X Division Championship next, but we'll have to wait and see as Impact continues. But with that, that is your Impact Wrestling Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now we're off to SmackDown. SmackDown will open up with them playing a video package of what happened at the Elimination Chamber with Sami Zayn, Roman Reigns. And after the video package will be done with, we will see Jimmy Uso backstage and he will be interviewed and he will be asked whether he has talked to his brother Jay since... They saw each other at the Elimination Chamber. Jimmy will say that he hasn't seen Jay, but he's texted his brother and that they will meet in the ring to talk about their issues. So after that, we get our first match of the night, six-man tag match. Ricochet, Braun Strowman, and Mad Cat Moss going against Imperium. Imperium would win the match by pinfall when Gunther would hit Mad Cat Moss with a powerbomb for the win. Now, after the match, Gunther would hold up the Intercontinental Championship and look up at the ramp and see Drew McIntyre standing there. Drew stood there since, like, the middle of this match because he's scouting Gunther. And you can tell that you can see where they're setting up with Drew McIntyre going in against Gunther, probably for Mania, because that's a big match that everybody would like to see. So I think they're testing that out in the water here. Um, Drew will look like he's about to go to the ring. But then you see the Viking Raiders attack Drew McIntyre from behind. And as the Vikings are attacking Drew, Sheamus will come running down to help Drew out. And now you see Drew and uh, Sheamus beating up on the Vikings. And then you see Braun Strowman and Ricochet help Drew and Sheamus take care of the Viking Raiders. And that's the end of this. Now, next thing up was LA Knight coming down to the ring. And he would talk about how this time of the year, there's people talking about wanting a WrestleMania moment. LA Knight will say that since WrestleMania is going to be in LA, he's going to give WrestleMania an LA Knight moment. That's when the New Day will come out. Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods still know Big E. I say that because people might think Big E might be coming back right now. Again, we have no idea. We still know that he is still resting up. So I just have to make it clear that it's still 
Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods right here. Anyway, uh, you would get some words of jousting of words with the New Day and LA Knight back and forth, and it would end up in a singles match between LA Knight and Kofi Kingston. Kofi would win the match by pinfall, when Kofi would hit LA Knight with Trouble in Paradise for the win. Now, after this, the SmackDown Women's Champion, Charlotte Flair, would come down to the ring, and Charlotte would be out here to call out Rhea Ripley, but Rhea doesn't come out. Dominic Mysterio would. Dom would talk up Rhea saying that she is the strongest woman in WWE and that she was the first woman to win the Royal Rumble in the Women's Rumble at the number one spot. Dom would then start playing mind games with Charlotte, talking about how him and Charlotte are alike in the sense of being generational children and being better than their fathers. Charlotte would stop Dom and tell Dom that unlike him, she loves her dad. And that since her dad couldn't be here to beat up Dom, she will do it. And as Charlotte would get closer to Dominic, Rhea Ripley's music would hit and Rhea would come down to the ring. We would get a brief face-to-face -face between both of the ladies before Dom would get Rhea out of the ring. And then it was announced that next week, Liv Morgan would be going against Rhea Ripley. So you're going to get more storyline as they're building up into their match between each other with Rhea Ripley and Charlotte next week on SmackDown. Now, next matchup was Natalia with Tegan Knox in her corner, going against Shayna Baszler, who had Ronda Rousey in her corner. Shayna would win the match by submission, when Shayna will lock in an arm-style uh, submission on Natalia and make Natalia tap out. Now, after the match, Shayna would attack Tegan once Tegan got on the ring apron. Shayna would then grab and hold Natalia as Ronda was going to kick Natalia. Tegan would get in the ring and attack Ronda Rousey making both Shayna and Ronda have to retreat. And it was announced that next week on SmackDown will be Natalya and Tegan Knox going against Shayna Baszler and Ronda Rousey. Now, the next thing up was the Firefly Funhouse segment. And I don't know what to tell you guys here. There was a whole lot of acid trippy type things that I couldn't even wrap my head around in this Firefly Funhouse segment. The only thing I could wrap my head around was one, Bobby Lashley and Bray Wyatt. That's going to be the thing. That's what's happening here. And two, you got to see like Bray like drop hints of saying who opened the door. And this is basically making reference to Bray now letting the monster back out and the monster is going to be coming out to play. So I don't know if this is the fiend or if this is a new creature that Bray Wyatt has. I have no idea, but this whole thing was nothing but an acid trip style situation here. But all they got to do know is that Bray has a new monster. So that's the only thing I did get out of this, and that Bobby Lashley is next up on the list for Bray Wyatt. Now, after this next matchup was Rey Mysterio going against Karrion Cross, who has Scarlet in his corner. Cross would win the match by referee stoppage, thanks to Scarlet and Dominic Mysterio. When Rey had Karrion Cross in position to hit the 619, Scarlet would get on the ring apron, and when Rey would run off the ropes, Scarlet would flip into the ring, and this would distract the referee. Ray would still run towards Cross, looking to hit the 619, but Dom would grab Ray by the legs and bring him out of the ring. Ray would look at Dominic as Dom would insist that Ray hit him, but Ray wouldn't do it and get back in the ring. Cross would then hit Ray with the cross hammer, which is a running forearm to the face, and then lock in the cross jacket on Ray Mysterio, and Ray would pass out. Now, after the match, Dominic would get in the ring and he would persist to constantly poke and prod at his father to hit him, strike him, he would shove Ray multiple times, and Ray would not give in. At one point, it looked like Ray was going to give in, and he even like got nose-to-nose -nose with his son, chest-to-chest, -chest. but he would restrain himself, and he wouldn't do it. So this is showing you that we are still building to Dom and Ray having their little uh, father-versus-son match at WrestleMania, and everybody on commentary, everybody in the crowd was waiting for Ray to pop Dominic. So I believe that first hit, is going to be a big pop and a big crowd reaction whenever they actually do have that first punch out type situation of Ray hitting the sun at WrestleMania. And if it was me, I would save that. I would say, you know what? I'm giving your match at WrestleMania. And then the first time Ray ever hits his kid, it got to be at WrestleMania. So I'm glad that they're waiting until that match happens at Mania. Well, that's the way I will book it. And that's the way I think they're going to book this thing. Now, main event segment. Jimmy Uso will come down to the ring. Jimmy would plead with his brother Jay Uso to come down to the ring, saying that he needs him and that he knows that Jay has a problem with Roman. But right now they have a Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens problem right now. And then you will see a figure hop over the barricade and get in the ring, and it's Sami Zayn. 
Sammy will let Jimmy know that he comes in peace. And Sammy will tell Jimmy that he felt betrayed by Jimmy because Jimmy was the first person to welcome him into the bloodline. They were dogs when Jay didn't like Sammy and when Paul Heyman shooed Sammy away every time he came close to the bloodline's uh, locker room. Jimmy Uso will be the one to welcome him. And Jimmy was the one that gave him the title of Honorary Uso. Sammy would tell Jimmy that it broke his heart whenever Jimmy super kicked him at the Royal Rumble without hesitation. Jimmy would snap back at Sammy and say, yo, that was your fault. You made me do it. That was not on me. Don't put the blame on me. Family does not do what you did. You turned on us. You the one that grabbed the chair and pulled the trigger. What was I supposed to do? Turn on family? No, that's not what family do. Sammy would fire back at Jimmy saying, Family doesn't test you week after week the same way that Roman did to me and the way that he's been manipulating Jay for the past few years. And as they were speaking of Jay, Jay would appear on the crowd steps watching Jimmy and Sammy in the ring. Both Jimmy and Sammy would notice Jay. And then you see Sammy make a plea to Jimmy, making the same plea that he made to Jay a couple weeks ago, saying that, yo, you guys know that the bloodline is going to go down. The bloodline's not about you guys. It's all about one person, Roman. And that Sammy is tells Jimmy, point blank, I'm going to make it my life's mission to make sure that I take Roman and the bloodline down. You guys don't have to go down with the ship. So he offers that olive branch to Jimmy, but Jimmy would just beat up on Sammy. He will wave his arm for Jay to come down. Jay will start walking down the steps and he will stop at the crowd barricade and just watch as Jimmy's right there beating up on Sammy. As Jimmy would constantly wave his hand over for Jay to come over, Jay doesn't. He just stops and just looks. And once Jimmy turns around to look back at Sammy, Sammy would run over and hit Jimmy with a haluva kick. And this will lay Jimmy out. Now, Solo Sokoa would come down to the ring. And that's whenever Sammy would leave the ring and he would retreat. He would leave the ring. He would go into the crowd. But before he does that, he would look at Jay. And Jay would look at Sammy. And then Sammy will have the barricade and start walking through the crowd. And that's how SmackDown ends. But what's going to happen is next week, it's already been announced that Roman Reigns will be on SmackDown. And if you thought paranoid Roman Reigns last year with Brock Lesnar was a trip, you haven't seen nothing yet. Roman Reigns knows that the walls are closing in on him. He knows that the bloodline is crumbling. Unlike last year, the bloodline was all standing together as a solid unit. He had the Usos at his beck and call doing what his bidding. Paul Heyman was good. Now this year, nope. The Usos are fractured right now. You have Roman now having to deal with Cody, and he's still got now two more problems of Sammy and Kevin Owens. Yeah, Roman's going to be a menace next Friday on SmackDown. He's going to get at Jay because Paul told Jimmy earlier in the night that he got to handle Jay, and that if he doesn't, Roman Reigns is going to handle Jay next week for Jimmy. So again, Roman next week, he's going to be on a big old power trip, a big old uh, paranoia trip. So it's going to be a fun, interesting watch next Friday to see what Roman's going to do to uh, Jay as the saga of the bloodline crumbling as we enter WrestleMania. But with all that being said, that is your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now off to AEW Rampage. First match of the night will be the Young Bucks with Kenny Omega in their corner going against Ozzy Open. The Young Bucks would win the match by pinfall when the Young Bucks would hit the BTE trigger on Kyle Fletcher for the win. Now, after the match, you will see the Young Bucks and Kenny celebrating in the middle of the ring. Then the lights will go out. And then once the lights pop back on, the House of Black will be surrounding the ring. You have Brody King on one side, Buddy on the other side, Alistair or Malachi on another side. And you see Julia Hart on another side. Once you start seeing the House of Black get on the apron of the ring, the lights will pop back off. And then when they pop back on, the House of Black have disappeared. And the Elite is just looking around to see where the House of Black could have went. So that's that for that. Um, it was announced that at Revolution, we will get a trios match of uh, House of Black going against the Elite. And I'm just saying this right now. Uh, they got one more week to build this up right. We all know it's going to be a good match because the Elite going to House of Black, that's kind of a thing everybody's been wanting to see. But just the build to it hasn't been the best, and it was like on short notice. So again, I don't know 
what the build is of it. I don't know if they're going to advance it after the pay-per-view. Because as I said, they got one more week. So let's see how that week goes. And let's see how that uh, pay-per-view goes with the match. After this, we have Willow Nightingale going against Tony Storm with Soraya in her corner. Tony would win the match by pinfall thanks to Soraya getting on the ring apron. When Willow was setting up for the doctor bomb, Willow would go over to Soraya and bring her over the top ropes and into the ring. This will allow Tony to chop block Willow from behind and hit Storm Zero for the win. Now, after this, Soraya and Tony were going to spray paint uh, Willow, but Dr. Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter, no, I'm sorry, Ruby Soho would run down to the ring first. And then you see Tony and uh, Soraya leave the ring and go up the ramp. Then that's when you saw Dr. Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter come down and chase off uh, Soraya and Tony Storm. Next matchup was Lance Archer with Jake Roberts going against a jobber of Bruce Saturn. Lance Archer would win the match by pinfall in a dominating fashion by hitting a short arm clothesline on Saturn for the win. I'm happy to see Lance Archer here. Uh, last time he was around AEW was, I believe, somewhere in 2022, I believe. is real rare that you see Lance Archer on AEW, as I said before, AEW has a big roster, a humongous roster, and they selectively choose what people that they want to put on the roster uh, and they want to put on television. So anytime they get Lance Archer on the screen, I'm always happy for it because he's one of the big guys that I'm actually uh, looking forward to see on the screen. He actually has a presence of, hey, I'm going to kill you. And if I want to do it, I could, especially with the whole everybody die uh, presentation with the song and everything that happens with it. It works to perfection, so hopefully we get more Lance Archer on AEW. Now going to the main event of Rampage, we get Action Andretti going against Sammy Guevara, who has Daniel Garcia in his corner. Sammy Guevara would win the match by pinfall thanks to Daniel Garcia's help. Once Action Andretti had Sammy Guevara in position and he was going to hit a split-legged moonsault, you would see Daniel Garcia get on the ring apron, clothesline, Action Andretti, and this will allow Sammy Guevara to grab Andretti and hit the GTH and then cover him for the win. And with that, that is your AEW Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, before I move on into showing appreciation to the black wrestlers that I want to talk about this week, I do want to make one mention. Um, last week, New Japan had their Battle in the Valley uh, pay-per-view, and I did not watch it, but the biggest highlights that came out of the Battle in the Valley uh, pay-per-view was that A, Kenta, he beat Fred Rosser to become the New Japan Strong uh, Openweight Champion. B, you had Jay White basically leaving New Japan because he lost a loser leaves New Japan match with Eddie Kingston. And C, Mercedes Monet, or formerly known as Sasha Banks, she beat Kyrie to become the new IWGP Women's Champion for New Japan. So Mercedes Monet, she bet on herself she left wwe to do her own thing and now she is the new iwgp women's champion she's the first black woman i believe to actually hold new japan gold so that's a good thing for her and i'm glad for her and also you got to see like backstage photos of who was around her to uh clap it up for her you saw tamina there you saw bailey there you saw um naomi there that's just a form of friendship and familyhood that you can't buy nowhere because those ladies have all went through something together. Bailey and Sasha, they were together down there in NXT. Then when Sasha went up to the main roster, she was with uh, Tamina and Naomi at top for Team Bad, and they always kept that connection together. And even with uh, Mercedes Monet now being out of WWE, and she's now in New Japan, and Naomi, she's still not really in WWE, she's still under contract, but she's not making appearances like that, um, and Tamina, she's under contract, she makes appearances whenever they need her, but you get my drift here, they all come together for Mercedes, they all came together for Sasha to celebrate this big moment for her, for her bedroom on herself, and I was such a good thing to see that so I just want to throw that out there and that bond that all four of those ladies have that's something that again money can't buy and speaking of bond just like Sasha Banks with Naomi and Bailey and Tamina the only bond that I see that is represented that much is the New Day 
And those are the brothers that I want to talk about to end off this year's February uh, Black Wrestler Appreciation. I want to talk about the New Day. I think everybody knows that have been listening to this broadcast. I have talked about the New Day excessively. I talk about them because they are literally the greatest trio in all of WWE. They have done it all. They hold the most reigns for tag team champions. They are the second longest reigning uh, tag team champions in WWE with the days of 483. I mean, their record is outstanding. As a team, they hold a reign of 12, and that's the most in WWE. The only other team that has more than them is the Douglas, but that has asterisks right beside it because they count eight of their ECW Tag Team Championship gold wins and also that one uh, WCW Tag Team win. But if you don't count those, that's 10. But again, the New Day have 12. And also just individually, when you break it down, Kofi and Big E, they are former WWE Tag Team Champions. Kofi and Big E, they are former Intercontinental Champions. Then you have Kofi and Xavier, they're a former NXT Tag Team Champions. You have Big E, who's the first ever Black NXT World Champion. You have Xavier Woods. He won the King of the Ring. I mean, you have all these guys with so much, like, so much accolades to them just in WWE alone. They're already bona fide Hall of Famers with just them being together literally for about, what, nine years as a group. Next year, it'll be 10 years for them as a group that have never, ever broke up, and that's unprecedented in WWE. In professional wrestling as a whole, that's really unprecedented because the only other group that's really like kept a lock and stronghold or anything is I think like Bullet Club. But Bullet Club's had so many people get brought in, kicked out, and leave. And their group is just so big. But the New Day is three guys. Just three guys. Biggie, Kofi Kingston, Xavier Woods. And they have been together literally for about a decade. Next year will be a decade. And that's crazy. People don't understand how crazy that is in the world of professional wrestling for have a group like that to be around for legit 10 years. And people are going to try to discredit the New Day, but I don't understand how you can discredit them when you hear about what they had to do to make the New Day become present on screen. They already had a brotherhood backstage. They tried to get it on the screen and then they got fought to nail. and then they had to put, well, Xavier had to put his spot on television, his spot on the WWE roster on the line for them to actually get to the point where they need to go. If Vince McMahon, the man in charge at said time, said, you know what, go ahead. And Xavier took the bullet. He said, you know, if this doesn't work, fire me and you don't have to do this no more. And guess what? You see the new day now. They were able to ride everything out. They were able to become the pinnacle of wwe anytime they need media you send the new day out anytime you need them to go on television shows or talk shows guess what you spout send the new day because the new day are entertaining they're charming they're eloquent dudes they know how to dress they know exactly how to represent a company especially when you wanted to have the demographic of the black african-americans you always send out the new day because they're three guys that show you that you could break the stereotype you don't always have to be the quote-unquote stereo prototypical black dude that you think of when you think of professional wrestling no you could be a nerd you could be anything that you want that's what the new day show you you could be your true selves and guess what you just gotta be you and it will be all right because xavier biggie and kofi they're three nerds they're legit three nerds and they're happy for it as a matter of fact xavier woods he built a whole freaking career sidelined it with WWE as a video game guy. And guess what? He's able to do things outside of WWE that has to do with video games. Big E, he's able to do different things as well. Kofi, he's able to do different things as well. All three of these guys are able to do different things while they're still doing WWE. And the biggest thing of all is that anybody in the professional wrestling landscape, they don't have no bad words to say about any of the three guys. As a matter of fact, everybody loves the New Day, whether you're in WWE, New Japan, AEW, Impact, everybody loves the New Day, and to me personally, I think that counts more than any championship, any other accolade. In that business and in life in general, if you got people that like you or people that don't say any bad things about you, I think that's what counts more than anything, because they know what your true intentions are, they know who you are, and they know you. So if 
nobody's able to say anything bad about those three guys. That tells you right there. The New Day are worthy of being praised for all the praise that they've gotten. They're worthy for all the shine that they're getting and all the shine that is going to be coming their way when they decide to hang up the boots and do other things either in media or other things in their personal lives. And that's the reason why I want to shine a spotlight on the New Day to showcase them being great, positive role models, just not for black individuals, but also for every other individual on this planet. So again, I want to give the spotlight to the New Day. If you don't know or you haven't remember or you don't recognize how the greatness, trust me, do your studies, do your research, go back to their time when they first showed up in 2014 with the whole gospel gimmick and then they started going into 2015 turning it around to become the new day that we know now with the whole unicorns francesca i mean just being absolute clowns but lovable clowns that we all know them as now lovable guys so again do your research and do all that stuff if you don't remember it trust me you're gonna want to now with that all being said I want to thank you guys for joining this uh, Wrestling Highlights of the Week episode here. I hope you guys have a great Saturday. Please don't be a dick. Please be careful out there on these roads out here. And just be uh, thoughtful human beings. Now, with all that being said, this has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. He is I, and I am him. I love you all. I thank you. And with that being said, Kanye, could you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh -huh. Jesus wept. Uh -huh.